Appreciate all those songs this morning. Very, very rich in meaning, many of them. Very rich meanings um, to those songs. So I appreciate Sister Ashley and Sister Megan working so hard and our kids in the choir singing. Um, it was good this morning. So I want to have something on your heart this morning before we look to the scriptures today. Anything? If you'd like to read with us this morning, we're going to take a reading from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9. Again, 2 Samuel, chapter 9. And we're going to read the entirety of this chapter, which is 13 verses. Out of necessity, I may go short today. Uh, my voice is not holding up very well, so I'll do the best that I can this morning. Second Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 13. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant, whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which which is lame of his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, and Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. Thank you. And will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon? Such a dead dog as I am. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shalt till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both his feet. 
title of our message this morning is going to be drawn from verse 8 of our scripture reading. And we're simply going to, we're going to simplify what Mephibosheth said and just title it, Who Am I? Uh, who Am I? This account is always a very difficult one for me to read. And my mind often, when I read this account, goes back to an experience that I had. Um, I was 19 years old, and uh, I had just visited uh, Africa for the first time. I went to Kenya uh, by myself and uh, met Brother Tom Alande over there, one of our good missionary brothers. And uh, he took me on a tour of the country, and I preached at all these different stops throughout Kenya. And it was it was difficult to go on this trip throughout Kenya. Um, the things that I saw, many of them I still have, it just emblazoned in my mind. And uh, many nights when I went back to the hotel, I just cried. And I couldn't stop, kind of like doubt. And uh, I was on a plane leaving Nairobi. And that day we had left a hotel, and as we were driving, there was this really steep hill in the middle of the city, and um, there were these four men that were pushing a trailer, and the trailer was stacked so high, and it was probably 110 degrees outside, and they were just pushing with all of their might this trailer up the hill, and um, I watched them. As we were driving by, I turned back, and I, I watched them. And just the amount of work that they were doing, that was so hard. And um, I got in the plane, and we were taken off. And as we were taken off over the city of Nairobi, it's a huge city, I just saw all these people. Just You could just see, you know, just little dots spread out all over. And, and then as you rose higher, those cars became little dots, and there were just a mind-numbing amount of people. And uh, this, this thought hit my mind. Who am I? Who am I? And as I sat there, Africa, I don't mean this in any form of disrespect, I always feel very torn about going there because my body hates it. It's very uncomfortable and... Um, all the amenities that we have here, so many that I could even describe, um, are, are absent there. And then, of course, on the other hand, there's a spiritual reason for going, and so I enjoy it. But the whole time I was there at night, when I would go to my hotel room, and I saw the abject poverty and hardships of the people, 
the thought that kept ringing in my mind was I get to come home and I'm going to leave all these people here. And um, it was hard to come home. It was hard being here for me uh, because every time I went and got a glass of water that was clean, I just felt bad. Um, I'm not saying you should feel bad, but I did feel bad, you know, just that it's so easy. And uh, laid in a warm bed that was comfortable and uh, didn't have to worry about so many things. And I like numbers. So naturally, at the time, and I still do occasionally, I would run the numbers. You know, what's, what's the... What's the percentage chance that I would even be born in the United States, given the whole world's population? And it's such a small number that, you know, you would be born here. And then what's the chance that in in that I would be born and and I would just, you know, scaffold that concept to a Christian family? What's the chance I'd be born, you know, and it it is so small and, uh, I often think about those people, and I know I'm speaking naturally, um, but in a time like this, when we're called to Thanksgiving, my heart overflows with Thanksgiving. Because there's so many things that I don't have to worry about, and I just have immense gratitude that. And this morning, I want to bring a message before you from this text. I want to try to, um, not to cultivate guilt, because God has placed us here, and I don't think he would have us to feel this immense guilt, but to cultivate gratitude. Um, God has been very good to all of us. And my mind goes to the Psalms. I was thinking this week, and I went back there and I read. In the 8th Psalm, it says this. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the Son of Man, that thou hast visited him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the work of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. When we consider first just the race of people that we are, the human race, there is no more evil beings you can find. That's just I don't that's just a factual statement. And yet, 
God is first mindful of us. He concerns himself with us. That alone, you know, there is a, a belief which naturally I understand where it derives from. It's called deism. It's the idea that God created everything and then, you know, it just got so bad. God just left and said, good luck. And in consideration to the evil of mankind from a practical perspective, doesn't that make sense? (laughs) You see all of the sin and selfishness and when you're exposed to the the utter depravity of mankind, and you think, why would any holy, good God occupy His time with consideration for us? Just as a whole human race. In the same sense, you know, I began to think here is David. David sought Mephibosheth out. David has taken over the kingship. No doubt, many things to occupy his time and his interests. And Saul had been his greatest enemy. Saul had actively tried to kill him, not just once but on multiple occasions. And then God would deliver Saul into David's hands and David would restrain his hand and not not kill him. And it's like Saul would have a wake-up call for a moment and say, you know what, I'm wrong and I shouldn't do this. And then his anger would get stirred up again and Saul would again attack David. And Saul ultimately was after him and was his enemy. And yet David, because of his own compassion and because of his own affection for God, because he said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. I am giving that. That's God's prerogative to do what he will with Saul. And even though he seeks to slay me, even though he would do harm to me, I will run and I will hide, but I will not retaliate and I will give this over to God's providence. Saul eventually died in battle. A young man said that he actually killed Saul. It didn't happen, but he said he did. And David was so angered by that that he actually slew the young man. Because he said, don't you have any fear that you've laid your hand to God's chosen man? If God wanted to take him out, that's God's prerogative and he has the power to do so. And yet David, despite this family history, despite the fact that Mephibosheth, because Jonathan also died that day, so the next one to be heir to the throne would have been Mephibosheth. And there could have very easily been a group of people that would have rose up and tried to anoint him as the king. And so very often, it's not, it was not an uncustomary thing during that time and during that age for kings to kill an entire family of possible heirs so as to protect their own prospects being king. And yet David seeks out Mephibosheth seeks out a man from the heritage of Saul because he wants to show him kindness. 
I'm thankful that God sought me out. Both, both in the way that he has providentially weaved together my life that I had nothing to do with. Don't you realize that one of the foolish things about a man's pride and his arrogance is that so much of who we are and what we are is by grace alone. God could alter just the slightest thing in your history of your life. God could have altered just the slightest thing in your family. God could have altered just the slightest thing in so many things about you and it would have caused the trajectory of your life to be altogether different. And yet God, and so, so many of the things that man may be tempted to be proud of about what he has accumulated and what he has done and what has he accomplished are all rooted in the providential grace of God that has been given to us. And so it is the epitome of, of, of selfishness and foolishness, really, for God to have provided so much and for man to take the credit for what God has provided. I've often thought how much better others would have done had they been in the situation that I'm in. Right? Don't you think that there are people of the billions of people living in abject poverty through no fault of their own, halfway around the world, that if they were just given a shot like you've been given, freedom like you've been given, what would they have done with it? And very often we're blessed to be able to see it because immigrants will come from other countries and they'll lay their hands to the plow and they'll work like dogs and they'll work to give their families a better life and to give themselves a better life. And it seems like they're just willing to apply themselves to a degree that to some would seem unfathomable. And do you not think that there are billions of people around the world who, if given the advantages that you and I have been given, would not capitalize on those not only in a a natural way, but also also a spiritual way and yet God in his providence gave it to us God has sought us out and blessed us there's a scripture in Lamentations I was reading this week I'll read it to you Lamentations is such a in one way depressing book i.e. the name Lamentations And yet, in the middle of Lamentations, there's this light that springs forward. And and it's it's incredible to read the book of Lamentations because the first two chapters are poems. You'll notice both of them are 22 verses long. They're acrostics. So the Hebrew Hebrew, uh, alphabet is 22 letters. So an acrostic is just the first letter is a verse, and the second letter is a verse, and the third letter is a verse. And it goes to the, the Hebrew alphabet for the first two chapters. And then in the third chapter, it's 66 verses. So you can do the math. That's three verses per letter in the alphabet. And Jeremiah is lamenting Israel's place. And what he's pointing out through lamentations is that sin inevitably leads to judgment. That immutably placed in God's character is that sin will be judged. And then he gets to chapter 3 and he's continuing to point out all of the forms of judgment that have been laid upon Israel. 
And then he steps into another immutable part of God's character. And it's so beautiful because he then begins to talk about how God is so faithful to those who would humble themselves and turn back to him. And as immutable as sin leads to judgment, so does God's faithfulness and mercy to those who humbly come to him. He comes to verse 30, what is it, 39 in the text, and he says this, Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sin? Let me read it in a different version. It says this, Why should any living mortal or any man complain of punishment in view of his sins? Here, I don't think... This scripture is telling us, how could you complain to God about a punishment for sin? How is that? It's deserved. And yet that's being told to us in the context of God is faithful and merciful. This morning, David sought out Mephibosheth. He called him before him. I don't know what the crippling of Mephibosheth... We know the cause of it, that Ziba was running from the battle with Mephibosheth and he fell, Mephibosheth dead, and, and, and that's how he injured his legs, is that he was with his family in battle and as he was fleeing, he fell and he crippled himself or was crippled because of that. And so, goes and he finds Mephibosheth and he brings him before the king. And immediately... Mephibosheth falls down and says, Behold thy servant. Now, I would wonder based upon David's, or I would speculate based upon David's initial reply that Mephibosheth was scared for his life. He was the son of the king's, or grandson rather, of the king's enemy. And he comes before him and he bows his head. And he says, Mephibosheth, and he says, Behold thy servant. And the first thing that David says is, Fear not. Don't be afraid. That to me is very indicative of how that we can come before the Lord. If I consider me, Mephibosheth was not only part of a heritage of people who were the enemy of God, but furthermore, because of his own handicap, he had nothing to offer David. What good does a crippled in that, especially during this era of time, what good could a crippled from an enemy, a family's enemy, do for the good of the king? Nothing. And yet, David here not only acknowledges him, not only gives him the the consolation of saying, you know what, I'm not going to make you my enemy. But he says, I'm going to bless you in a way that is truly inconceivable. Not only, so what I'm first going to do is because of your father's sake, 
Not because of your own sake, not because of the heritage and the fact that your, your grandfather was after me as an enemy, but because of the kindness of someone else, your father, I am going to bless you by restoring to you all of the goods, all of the land that your grandfather's house had owned. That's the first thing. I'm going to make Ziba, your grandfather's servant, your servant. And all that are in his house are responsible for cultivating the land which I am now bestowing upon you unworthily. They're all going to work for you. But you don't have to worry or depend upon the cultivation of that gifted land. Rather, what you're going to do is you're always going to be eating at my table as though you were still the son of a king. Mephibosheth, I think, goes from terrified out of his mind that he's about to die to Hearing what the king has said is going to be his blessings for the rest of his days. And he says, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I? What have I done to deserve this? The king It's almost like he ignores it. He immediately calls Ziba the servant. And he says, now this is your job. It's to take care of all that I have given to him. The very end of the chapter tells us, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. This morning, I suppose if I could impress anything upon your heart or your mind, it would be to be grateful for what God has provided for you and I. God has provided us so much. So much. There are many things about the American culture that I do not care for. Thanksgiving is one that I do care for. I think it's a good thing if it's celebrated correctly. And that is that this week, our hearts would, and you've often heard the saying, count your blessings. Do that. Count the things that God has blessed you for. Spend each night with your family talking about God's blessings this week. Say them out loud. You've been married for 40 years, 50 years. You know, many people's Marriages were cut short through death. What a blessing. What a natural blessing that can so easily be forgotten in the midst of the responsibilities that are laid upon our lives and in the midst of coming and going to and fro with the things that we do in marriage and the the things that we take for granted whenever God has blessed us with something for so long. God has given you a person in whom your soul loves. How many people today are broken, unhappy, miserable? Yet God has provided you a companion. God has provided you children, perhaps. 
I love being a parent, don't you? Wonderful blessing to be a parent. Aren't you grateful for God's blessing on who he gave you? The children, the specific children that he did give you? Isn't that an immense blessing from God? What about his provision? In such a wealthy nation where Satan tempts us to compare what we don't have to what others do have. Take yourself out of this little echo chamber, this little box of America and put what you have amongst so many throughout, not only presently, but throughout the history of the world. And you're rich beyond measure. So many things that are free to us. God has provided those things. And this is the season in which it would do us, would behoove us to give him true, genuine thanks. And yet beyond that, if you've been saved by God's grace, all those things that I've just described are natural blessings that will cease. And yet the benefit that we have as children of God is that those blessings which he has given us spiritually are eternal. It can never be lost. I'm saved. There's nothing I can do about that. I take great consolation in that. I have been saved and it's permanent, it's fixed. I can't do anything about it. Sometimes it seems like I'm trying to get out of it by the way I act, by the attitude that I can get. But aren't you so thankful that once God has saved you, you're forever saved? Oh, people who fight so hard to keep it. And even just the knowledge that it's permanent. Like what a blessing that is. Imagine if you got saved and then you really didn't know whether you were going to keep it or not. So you had to live your whole life doubting and hoping that when you get to the very end, I really hope when I die I'm going to make it. There are people who live that way. And yet God, through the revelation of his word, has revealed to us that once God has saved you, it is permanent. That no man can pluck me out of his hands. And the security that I can have in all situations, that I am saved. Wow. And then just a few weeks ago on Sunday night, as we were going through Romans chapter 8, and we were listing, I believe it's 19 promises, 19 gifts in Romans chapter 8 that God has given us as his people. I think of people today, there in Mephibosheth, he was incapable of doing, let me say this, God had given him a gift. He restored all of Saul's things to him. And yet because of his handicap, even though God had gifted him with something, there was nothing that he could physically do about it. So imagine that you're a farmer who's been gifted 500 acres of land 
and there every year you're sitting upon hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, if you'll put the work in, that's what you're going to reap as a benefit. And yet your body is physically unable to actually go out and cultivate the land. What good is that to you? If even the gift you have been given is unable because of your own inability to be cultivated. And yet, isn't that the Christian? That God has given us this gift of salvation and so many dimensions of what goes along with that. There's so many things that happens when a person gets saved that God has gifted us. And rather than saying, you know what? In my own strength and according to my own ability, I am unable to cultivate even the gifts that God has given to me. And so what has he done? He's given me his spirit. A servant to help me to to enjoy and to use those things which God has granted to me. What good would I be able to do with this if I didn't have the Holy Spirit to enlighten it and show me what's in it and apply it to my own heart and my own life? How it would have bits of wisdom that I might be able to use and, and, and ascertain from just studying it, but it would not bring the life that it can to you without the Holy Spirit Bring it in this morning. I ask you the question, who are you that God is so mindful of you? I pray that would create in you a deep sense of gratitude. God has been good to us. No matter the hardships you faced, no matter the things in your life that are imperfect or incomplete, If you died now, could you not die a satisfied person from what God has done? I could. If I died today, 34 years old, and the the strength of my day, right? I could die happy. Because God has given me more than what I've ever deserved. And so I publicly today... Praise Him. Because God is good. He is so good. And I am unutterably thankful for all of the goodness that He has showed to me. I pray today that you feel like Mephibosheth. What am I that I could be at the king's table eating of this? You know, I would think... Especially during this time. Crops, you're you're worried. You know, you would worry about what if there's a famine and what if there's a drought and what if my land doesn't cultivate like it should and what if all these things. And then imagine being told, you're going to eat the king's table from now on. Like the king is going to get his due before anybody else gets theirs, right? His table is going to be provided for first. And then everyone else's is going to be provided for. Imagine the immediate relief you would feel knowing, I never have to worry again about at least eating. It's forever taken care of. I think of that. You and I, what's our ultimate concern down here is people? Death, right? That's what people worry about. 
I don't have to ever worry about that. I'm grateful today. I hope your heart is stirred this week into gratitude. My certainly is. I appreciate the Lord being mindful of us, of me. I appreciate every good and perfect gift that has come down from God. I know that's who they've come from. And I so appreciate that God has allowed me to be born now and here with these people. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I'm grateful that God has blessed us the way that he, should, the way that he has. And I want to praise him this morning. That's all I have this morning. You may have.